0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Praise God, we've been talking about genuine faith. This is lesson number five. Uh, quick review, genuine faith is based on the Word of God. It's got to be based on the Word of God. We don't manufacture our own faith. Number two, we talked about the difference between rhema and logos. Anybody confused about rhema and logos? I think it's pretty easy to understand. Basically, you can, to make it as simple as can be, I can either call my wife and say, I love you, honey, or I can send her a text message. So the text message is Logos. And calling her and talking to her is Rama. So when God sends you a letter, his word, that's the logos. But if he speaks to you by his spirit, that's the Rama, the spoken word. And so our faith must be based on either the logos or the Rama, which is God speaking to us either through his word or by his spirit or could be an angel. But you get the point. It's a voice. It's the spoken word. And then we talked about how Jesus taught the law of faith in Mark 11:23. Which is the next point, you've got to believe in your heart and say it with your mouth. Faith believes from the heart and says with the mouth. Tell your mountain to be removed. He didn't say pray to God to remove your mountain. He said speak to your mountain and it will remove if you believe in your heart and say with your mouth. And then we illustrated this through the example of David slaying Goliath. When Goliath came to him and said, I'm going to kill you, he said, you come at, the, you come at me with a sword and a spear, and a shield. But I come against you in the name of the Lord of hosts, who this day will deliver you into my hands. He's speaking his faith. Can you see that? He's speaking his faith at the enemy. And what did God do? Backed him up. God had his back. So where did he get that faith from? It wasn't a spoken word, because he didn't go there to do that. He went there based on the logos. He was going to feed his brother's lunch but the logos he knew is God and when you know your God and you believe in your heart and say with your mouth what his word says is true you know what will happen? it will come to pass now look at the next point as we continue our study in the book of Genesis Genesis chapter 14 starting at verse 12 I'm, I'm sorry Isaiah forgive me I'm getting ahead of myself Isaiah, chapter 14, verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? Well, how did he? How did he? It's a good question, isn't it? Well, it tells you how in the next verse. For thou hast said in thine heart. What's the law of faith? You believe in your heart and say what your mouth. What is that telling us? The devil believed, Lucifer believed he could use the law of faith and overthrow God with it. He understood spiritual laws. He understood the law of faith. And he believed in his heart five things. Look what it says. I will ascend number one into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, he said from his heart with his mouth. Three, I will sit upon, also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. Number four, I will send above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Number five. He said that from his heart because he believed he could overthrow God. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell To the sides of the pit, they that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble, that did shake kingdoms? Hmm. Notice, Lucifer knew the law of faith. He said those things from his heart. He was so convinced that he convinced even other angels to follow him. Now, some believe it was a third of the angels that followed him, that fell with him. But here's the point. If you're an angel living in the presence of God, you're experiencing the glorious power of God and the majesty of God. How can someone deceive you into following him? Lucifer was pretty convincing, wasn't he? Pretty crafty, wouldn't you say? He had them convinced as well. You follow me and we'll overthrow God. And we're going to have our own glory. Well, his faith had no rhema or logos basis. Are you listening? His faith had no rhema or logos basis. God didn't write him a letter and just say, oh, by the way, if you want to overthrow me, just do this. He didn't call him up or send him a text message or anything like that and say, if you want to overthrow me, just do this there was no basis for him to say, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. No basis for it whatsoever. We just can't come up with what we want to say. Whatever we say must be rooted and grounded in what God said. That's what genuine faith is all about. Well, we know that uh, his fall was based on what? Pride. It was pride-based. You see, he himself wanted what he wanted. And it meant stepping beyond the boundaries that God established for his existence. And through pride, that's exactly what he did. And he convinced others to follow him. And of course, we know the rest. But I want you to notice here what he said. He wanted to be above the heavens, but guess what? His fall was from heaven to hell. Right? He's the one that wanted to sit on the sides of the north, but the Lord says you'll be on the sides of the pit. He's the one that wanted veneration, but the Lord says, you'll get humiliation. Can you see those points? The very opposite of what he said is what he got, because he had no basis for his faith whatsoever. Genuine faith is based on what God said. We embrace it in the heart. We say it with the mouth. And then God backs us up. Now look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. You might be thinking, well, what's that got to do with me? Everything in the world with all of us. Look at these verses. King James first, and then the English Standard Version. Would to God you could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me, for I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband." "...that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ." Now let's read that from the English Standard Version. "...I wish you would bear me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ." But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Satan failed plan A, so he had a plan B. He targets Eve to deceive her with his subtlety so he can usurp authority and begin to act like the being he wanted to be in the first place. We know he became the God of this world. Because in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4 we're told that. And Jesus taught Paul the gospel. And this is what Jesus himself saying that, he was the, that Satan was the prince and power of the air. Look it. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of, the, of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So what is his target? The mind. He, as he deceived Eve, will deceive people into thinking wrong, believing wrong, speaking wrong, so they can have wrong in their lives. It all starts up here with our thought life. That's why we're told thoughts and imaginations that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God must be brought down, cast down. Otherwise, Satan could dominate even the believer. Now look in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said... He shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And you know the rest of the story. But I wanted to point that out because notice how the scripture says he was subtle, crafty, cunning, deceiving. You see, deception is his primary method of operation. To get into people's minds and mess up the way they think to control their lives, to have his way with them. He did that to Eve, and when he did, of course, we know the rest is history. He appealed to what she saw. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the the eyes, and the pride of life, we're told in 1 John, is what this world's about. Lust of the flesh, it's good food. Lust of the eyes, look at it. It'll make you wise. The pride of life, you'll be like God. Exalted. You'll have the best life you can have if you listen to me. So he deceives her. She buys the lie and acts accordingly. And what happens to her? She falls just like he did. Mankind falls just like he did. But he got what he wanted. He got authority. He got power. He became the prince of the power of the air, the god of this world. Well, he's crafty. He's cunning. He's deceiving and the thing is, he messes with people's minds every single day. And if you're a believer, he doesn't, he's not concerned about that. He will mess with believers' minds if they will allow it. Beloved, this message is extremely important to all of us. Because it reveals to us how the enemy can have his way even in a believer's life If they yield to his lies and deceptions. It is so important that we know the truth. Why? Well, because the scripture says, my people perish for lack of knowledge. We don't want to fall into the hands of the enemy. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Now when the devil comes, he doesn't come as the devil. Look at the verse first. These people are false apostles. They are deceitful workers who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. But I am not surprised. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no wonder that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. In the end, they will get the punishment their wicked deeds deserve. That's from the New Living Translation. Notice he comes disguised. In other words, if I could make it plainer. He doesn't knock on your door one day in a red suit with a pitchfork and say, by the way, I am your neighborhood devil. I've got three things to offer you, stealing, killing, and destroying. But I think if you're really a wise person, you know, if you're someone that likes a good deal, I'll make your proposition. You can bundle it and have all three. If you want stealing, see, there's only, that's 20 bucks. If you want killing, that's 20 bucks. If you want destroying, that's 20 bucks. But if you bundle it, put it together, I'll, I'll give it to you all for $29.99. <laughs> Take your pick. If you want just two out of the three, I'll work on a deal for that as well. He does not come in the front door. He does not identify himself as the devil. He comes with lies. He comes with deception. He comes to bend the truth just a little bit. To get people off. Even believers that don't really know the truth. To get them to think wrong. To believe wrong. To speak wrong. To have wrong. This is his MO. This is how he manifests himself. As a matter of fact. Jesus is the one. Look at John's gospel chapter 8 and chapter 10. And we'll notice what Jesus thought of him. He called him a liar. He called him a a robber. He called him a killer. A destroyer. And a deceiver. But look at. You are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. Did you hear that? There is not one ounce of truth in him. He is a liar. He is the father of liars the originator the progenitor of all lies and if you listen to him you can be deceived and paul was concerned that people at corinth would be deceived by these lies and deceptions and so he's warning them and telling them look he's not going to come in the front door he's going to come in the back door matter of fact if you read john 10 from verse 1 to 10 three times he called him a thief And he said he doesn't come in the right way. A thief comes in the wrong way. I am the true shepherd, the one and only true shepherd. I didn't come in through the back door. I came in through birth. When the devil came into the earth, he did not come in through birth. He came in through a serpent, which he used to deceive Eve. Did he not? But he said, when I came in, I came in the right way, the legal way through birth, so that I could do what? be the life giver. See, the thief comes to steal. Look at John 10.10. The thief comes, this is his plan, his purpose. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. So who's the stealer, killer, and destroyer? The devil. Who's the abundant life giver? Jesus. So it's important that we renew our minds to the fact that whatever steals from us, whatever kills, whatever destroys our hopes and dreams does not come from the kingdom of God. It comes from the wicked one. It comes from the evil one. And Jesus said he's a liar and a deceiver. Don't buy his lie. Jesus, the abundant life giver, bases what he does on truth. Look at John 8, 31 and 32. As believers, this is why we need to stay in the Word of God. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him If you continue in my Word, then you're my disciples indeed. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Know the truth. Become intimately acquainted with the truth. Not just a surface knowledge, but an in-depth revelation of the truth. So why? You could be liberated from the lies of the devil. From the deceiver, from the liar, from the stealer, the robber, the killer, the destroyer. To be liberated. So he operates on the truth. And sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. We all must be students of the word. Not just preachers and teachers. But every layperson, this is food for all of us. This is what educates us on the tactics of our enemy. Enabling us to rise up with truth and do what? Base our faith on truth. Amen. Genuine faith is based on truth. So look at 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 9. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion... Walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Do you know you have an enemy? Look at the, that's the King James. Look at the next translation. Be on your guard and stay awake. Be on your guard and stay awake. Every day. Your enemy, the devil, is like a roaring lion sneaking around. See, he's in your backyard. Hiding in the bushes, trying to, you know, get you to bite on his, what he wants to give. What you doing? Sneaking around to find someone to attack. But you must resist the devil and stay strong in your faith. Notice, he seeks whom he may devour, means there are those he may not devour devour and so who are the ones that he can devour those that don't know how to resist him with their faith you see why faith is so important it's important that we understand the place that faith holds in our lives faith resists the devil but faith is based on the word of god and truth i must know what the truth is so I can identify the lie. And when I can identify the lie, I can stand in faith with the word of truth and say no. I refuse. Beloved, the world we live in is a dangerous place. That's why we're told to be alert, clear-minded, sober, vigilant. All those words, what are they saying? Every single day we need to awaken with the idea that yet I live in the presence of God, but also I've got an enemy in my backyard. He is hunting me down, trying to come up with some scheme, some plan, some strategy to do what? To bring me down, to bring you down, to hurt you, to hurt me. It could be to hurt you personally. It could be your help. could be your marriage or your finances. It could be the church that you attend and go to. It could be the nation that you live in. He has one plan, one strategy only What does he come to do? To steal, to kill, to destroy. What does he use to accomplish his end? Lies and deception. And then temptation to get us to appeal to the lust of the eyes, flesh, and pride of life. Well, beloved, it's essential, as you heard this morning, as brother Dave spoke, that our eyes be open to the truth. So we can stand against, in faith, the lies and deceptive thoughts the enemy throws our way. Amen? So who's the troublemaker? The devil. But it's inevitable. People have problems in life, and we understand that. We all face adversity. We all face circumstances. Jesus himself said, in the world you're going to have tribulation. But for the most part, a lot of people, you know what they say? Well, God must be behind this. God's doing something here. And they fail to realize that God is not the troublemaker. God is the problem solver. He is not the problem. But the enemy wants to deceive people into thinking, God has a purpose in that. God has a reason for that. And when people think like that, you know what it does? It opens up the front door so he can come in and steal, come in and kill, and come in and destroy. That door needs to be closed. And the only way to close that door is with the truth. It's when you and I know the truth that we can shut that door in his face and say, you may not steal from me. You may not kill me. You may not destroy what I hold dear to my heart. You see, we should never want God to do what he's told us to do. And that's what a lot of people do, even Christians. They're expecting God to do something he told us to do. Did you know God never said he would do anything about the devil now that Jesus was raised from the dead and took his keys? He never said he would do anything about the devil. But he did tell you and he did tell me to do something about the devil. Resist him with your faith. Resist him steadfastly with your faith. Put him in his place. Keep the door closed. Look at Luke's Gospel, chapter 12. And this is from the New Living Translation. Understand this. If a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming. I like that, don't you? He would not permit his house to be broken into. Isn't there a true statement behind that? If you knew tomorrow at 5 o'clock in the evening there's a burglar to come to your house. And take all your belongings. You'd be prepared. You'd be ready, wouldn't you? Well, you know when Peter said, be alert? Be alert. Because there is a burglar out there who wants to come and steal, kill, and destroy. And we need to be aware of that every single day. That when we rise up, once again, we thank God for his presence and power, which we need. Also, his direction and understanding and guidance so we can take the right path and go the right way so that we don't go down the wrong path and fall victim to the enemy. So we need to be aware of the fact that we've got someone out there that wants to kill, steal, and destroy us, but it's up to us to say, stay alert, be aware, be ready, be watchful, because we've got to be armed with the Word and genuine faith so that with our faith we can and will resist the devil. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. We want to close the door to the enemy. And beloved, I'm telling you right now, it is so subtle that many just miss it. We can all miss it, myself included. We've got to understand how crafty and how subtle the enemy is and how he works. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give an open door, opportunity, territory, ground to the devil. Don't give him a breach in the wall. Of your house so he could get in now notice how he gets in be angry and what what opens up the door to the enemy sin if sin opens the door to the enemy what closes the door not sinning right notice anger is not the problem here it says be angry but what so anger is not a problem it's sinning Because of the anger, that's the problem. That opens up the door to the enemy. So you see, in his craftiness, he'll try to get into relationships, to get people angry with one another, to say hurtful things and that sort of thing to one another. And he sits back and laughs while the two tango. And open up the door. Because he's not concerned about who's right or who's wrong. Guys, you're wrong. Just say it, just forget it, and repent. (laughs) He's not concerned about who's right or wrong. He's looking for a way of entry, a hole to get into. And it's all up here, to occupy a place or a space in the person's mind and thought life so he can control their lives. So faith to resist him is based on truth. Where does that truth come from? The Word of God. Look at Romans 10, 17. So then faith cometh my hearing and hearing by the word of God. If I do not know the Word of God, I am not equipped, I am not armed to stand against and resist the devil and to keep him out of my house. It's important that I understand my need to know what is right and what is wrong, what is true, what is false. And also know this: it's not black and white, it's not cut and dry with the enemy. He comes in through gray areas. We have to understand that. He doesn't just come, like I said, and come introduce himself. I've come to lie to you so I can kill you. Do I have any takers this morning? No, he doesn't do that. He says, I got a good piece of meat. It's delicious. It's beautiful. But there's some arsenic in it. He doesn't tell you that. See, it looks good. It sounds good. But if you eat it, He's destroying you. Now, it's important to understand that. See, Eve knew what God said. Did you know that Eve knew what God said? But did you know what he wanted to know? He wanted to know what Eve knew. So he says to her, did God say that? Did he say that? Yeah, he said that. Now he knows how to plan a strategy. He knows what she knows. He'll plan his strategy around that. And as crafty and cunning as he is, he does what is necessary to point her in a direction to get her to fall. And she falls for it. He makes his appeal to her. Your flesh, your eyes, and the pride of life. Who needs Jesus? You're a man. Stand tall and stand strong. It takes a man to live the life that we live upon the earth. You could get through this Christianity for weaklings. Oh, really? <laughs> One day you'll stand before the King of kings and Lord of lords, and you'll find out who's strong and who's weak. You can't save yourself, oh man, no matter how strong you think you are. Don't boast in your strength. Don't boast in your understanding or wisdom. Don't boast in your financial resources. If any man boasts, let him boast that I know the living God. Hallelujah. That's my boast is in him, not in myself. He'll lie. He'll deceive. He did that to her. Now, I'm going to throw these out and I'm going to ask that you please be open-minded when I say these. Okay? Do I have your word? You'll be open-minded. You won't throw any stone until you hear all the (laughs) truth. Okay? Deception means to present as truth what is a lie. But notice this, to camouflage it, make it look good, but it's really a lie. And if he can get people to buy the lie, he can still kill and destroy, deceive, put in bondage and captivity. Look at some of these sayings we have as Christians. God is in control. You probably said it yourself, right? God's in control. We need to qualify that statement because look at 1 John 5, 19 from the New Living Translation of the Bible. We know that we are children of God and that the world around us is under the control of the living God. What? What? Wait a minute. I thought God was in control. Look at the next one. Look at other translation. This is the Amplified. We know positively that we're of God. Do you know that? You're of God? Absolutely. And the whole world around us, we know positively, is under the power of the evil one. So is God in control? Someone got very upset with me one time and Very upset with me because I said, God's not in control of everything. But I've been taught from a youth that God's in control. God's in control. Everything that happens on the earth, God is in control. No, no, no. No, that's not true. The whole world is under the control of the devil. He's the prince of the power of the air. He is blinding people's minds. If God was in control, I could paint you a picture of what the earth would be like. You know what it would be like? Heaven. Heaven. Let it be done on earth as it is in heaven. And if God was in control on earth, it would look just like heaven. No sin, no sickness, no disease, no terrorism, no mental anguish. And the list goes on and on. No poverty, no pain wouldn't exist if God was in control. When Jesus came to the earth and he was in control, what happened? Everywhere he went, the blind saw, the deaf heard, the lame were made whole. Right? And walk? Those that remain were made whole, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. When God is in control, praise God, things are looking bright. But the whole world is under the control of Satan. Christians can also listen to Satan's lies, and he can control them as well. So let's qualify the statement when we say God's in control. Is he really in control of that situation? Or is it the devil at work? What about this one? All things work together for good. That scripture has been so misused and abused. Read our article out there in an the North area of our church about Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good. And I'm telling you, I've heard some things that you wouldn't believe that people actually believe. I fell down and broke my leg, you know, the other day. But you know what the Bible says? All things work together for good. It worked together for good for your orthopedic doctor. I don't know about you. Right? That scripture doesn't say that. Always keep scripture in their setting. That setting, for we know that all things work together for for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to His purpose. Before and after, He's not talking about falling down and breaking your leg. I read an article where a woman was taught by ministers that when she was raped, that it was God working things together for her good. And she almost bought, actually she did buy the lie. In the article she kept saying, I don't understand it, but I guess that must be true. Because that's what all these preachers are telling me. Well, you know what? They're deceived. That doesn't work together for anybody's good at all. What he's talking about in those verses Read the verses prior and read the verses after. Everything in chapter 8 is there's no condemnation for you. When you walk in the law of the spirit of life, it lifts you above the law of sin and death. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you to quicken your mortal body and give it life. The Holy Ghost will help to take hold together with you in your inabilities to produce results. He'll pray through you the perfect will of God. He'll lead you. He'll guide you. He'll witness to your spirit. You're a child of God. And we know that all these things work together for good to them that love God and to them that are called according to his purpose. Wouldn't that be more understandable that those things work together for our good than falling down and breaking an ankle? But once again, it's the lie of the devil and people buy it. Acts 10 38 says this, how God anointed Jesus with with Nazareth and the Holy Ghost of Nazareth, with the Holy Ghost and power, who went about doing what? And healing all that were oppressed of whom? The devil, for God was with him. You want to know what good is? That's what good is. And everywhere he went, he did good. So you know what? Satanic oppression is not good. Being bound by demonic powers is not good. And so on. So that's just a little scenario there. But look at the next one. And this is the one that really we've got to focus on today because of the excessive grace teaching that's out there. And trust me, it's nothing new. Look at Jude. Chapter uh, chapter 1, verse 4. Look at Jude. Look at what it says. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God in our Lord Jesus Christ when one teaches that grace does it all that is a deceptive teaching and that's what we're hearing this revelation of grace does, and grace is a wonderful thing to teach on But any subject, every subject has a ditch on one side or the other of the road. This excessive grace teaching is a doctrine of devils. You know why? Because grace is God's part, but faith is our part. Grace does not do it alone. Grace does not resist the devil. We're told to resist the devil with your what? Faith, not God's grace. We fight the good fight of faith, not grace. We know that Satan is not resisted just because God has grace toward us. The grace that he's provided for me, which is his power, must be activated by my faith. If I don't use my faith, then the grace is not going to do me any good. I don't overcome the world by grace. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our what? Our faith. So, without faith, we can't activate the grace of God that even saves. Ephesians 2.8 tells us, for by grace are you saved through what? Grace. Through faith. What does that mean? That means the grace of God that appears to all men is here, has appeared to all men, but not all men are saved. If it was grace only, everybody would be saved. But the only ones that are saved are those who took their faith and activated the grace of God to get saved. Is that clear? Can we see that? So to teach it's grace only, what it does, it gives place to lasciviousness, that kind of living. Because people think there's nothing I have to do. It's all the grace of God. My sins are forgiven past, present, and future. Mm -mm. They're provided for past, present, and future, but not automatically forgiven. You've got to confess your sin, your fault, your shortcoming to be forgiven of your sin. Tap the grace of God to receive the mercy of God. Amen? Okay, so that's understandable. Look at the next one Let go and let God. Now, I know some are cringing right now. Let go and let God. Remember, these are thoughts that the devil also injects in people's minds. Well, we better qualify that statement. Is that the right thing to do? Just let go and let God? Well, if you're talking about letting go of the worry and the anxiety that you shouldn't be holding on to, it's one thing. But to say let God implies what? It's all up to God now. But wait a minute. Let's read what the scriptures teach. Look at the book of Hebrews. In chapter 12, or chapter 10 rather, and look at verse 23. This is from God's Word translation. We must continue to hold firmly to our declaration of faith. The one who made the promise is faithful. So does it say let go and that's it? No, it says to hold on. Hold on what you have when you turn over to God you don't just let go you hold on to your declaration of faith look at First Timothy 6 verse 12 fight the good fight of faith lay hold on eternal life where until thou also called and profess the good profession before many witnesses so we are told to hold on to our declaration of faith so it is to say I turn over to God and walk away and you're not even thinking about it anymore that's not what it says to do you are applying the principles of faith to the problem, to the situation by cooperating with God, then you will see the end result or the promise fulfilled. But just to let go and just say that's it, I'm done, that's, it's, it's all God now, we're not using our faith to enforce the enemy's defeat. I'll take it a step further, look at the next point. What will be, will be is how many believers live their lives or think that they should live their lives. Well if that philosophy was true what will be will be well then really what's the use of even praying what's the use of doing anything if we cannot alter anything that's going on in this world that we live in in our lives in particular in our families in our domain well guess what if we can not alter it then let God be in control and whatever happens just accept accepted it's happening that is deception from the enemy because he's afraid of faith not grace He knows that grace is over all the world because of what Jesus did. But he tries to prevent people from understanding faith because if they don't understand faith, they won't tap into the grace of God. Romans chapter 5 and verses 1 and 2, can we pull those up? Romans 5 verses 1 and 2. For by grace are you saved. Romans chapter 5, there it is. Therefore being justified by what? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by what? Into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. What gives us access to grace? Faith. What is faith? Believing in my heart, saying with my mouth what the truth of God's word says, and refusing to open the door to the enemy and allowing him to come in and have his way. But if I just sit back and just say, well, let God take care of it. Look at the next point. This is what will be will be now. Look at Matthew 16 verse 19. Matthew 16 verse 19, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Wait a minute. Did he really mean that? Did Jesus really say I'm giving you on earth the keys of the kingdom and what you permit on earth, it starts there, will be permitted in heaven? Okay. Okay. What you forbid on earth will be forbidden. Look at another translation. Look at the uh, CEV, Contemporary English Version. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and God in heaven will allow whatever you allow on earth. But he will not allow anything you don't allow. Wow. Look at the Holman translation. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth is already bound in heaven. Whatsoever or whatever you loose on earth is already loosed in heaven. And then also look at the next one. This is the God's word translation. You ready for this one? I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you imprison, God will imprison. Whatever you set free, God will set free. Where is the responsibility here? That doesn't sound like what will be will be. That sounds like what I allow will be allowed. What I permit will be permitted. What I liberate will be liberated. And what I imprison will be imprisoned. It's up to me to use my faith and enforce the victory that Jesus won for me. Now, Jesus has already defeated the devil for every single one of us notice he said he has the keys read revelation 118 with me and if you got some shouting clothes get ready i am he that liveth and was dead and behold i am alive forevermore and have the what he has the what key stands for authority right So who has the keys of hell and death? And how did he get them? In his death, burial, resurrection, he entered the strong man's house. He took the keys away from him that Adam gave to him. And he arose from the dead and stood there before John and said, I am he that liveth. The eternal one, but I died, but I rose again. I'm alive forevermore, and I've got the keys of death and of hell. I've got all authority, and it's mine. But guess what he told his disciples? All power is given to me in heaven and earth. Go ye. I'm now giving it to you in the power of my name and use my authority as an ambassador on this earth so that what you allow will be allowed and what you permit will be permitted. But what you prohibit will be prohibited and what you imprison will be in prison. So use, beloved, we have to wake up. We've got to recognize our enemy. We have to recognize where he's coming from. We've got to recognize he wants to destroy you, your marriage, your family, your finances, your health, your church, your nation. He wants to bring division among people to bring his destructive forces into people's lives. And he's trying to do that we're not fat battling flesh and blood but principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world and wicked spirits in high places There's the problem it's not your mother-in-law where'd that come from it's not her it's all those demon spirits that are out there trying to influence people to do the wrong thing so Just give me just two more minutes. Is that okay? Look at Revelation chapter 20. Who's got the keys? Jesus. Who did he give the authority to? Us. What's going to happen in Revelation chapter 20? I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit. And a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan and bound him 1,000 years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, shut him up, and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. Who had the key? The angel. What did he do with it? Lock up the devil. How long is he going to be there? 1,000 years. Why can't he get out? He doesn't have the key. He can't get out because he doesn't have the key, right? So one would think for 1,000 years mulling over, what did I do so wrong? How bad was I? How long is this going to be? I should have done that. Oh, man. No, he gets out and does the same thing all over again. How dumb can you be? (laughs) He gets out. And he wreaks havoc once again. Aren't you glad it's just a short season that he does that? But the point is, you and I have the key to lock up, to imprison, or to liberate and set free. And we'll close with this verse. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Oh, God is, or Paul is praying that God would open up our eyes, that we would clearly see the hope of our calling and the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, that he would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, so that we would understand this power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above, far above, far above your mother in law. <laughs> no far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world but also in that which is to come and put all things beneath his feet and gave him to be the head over all things which is the church the fullest of him which filleth all in all. You know what he's saying there? Oh God, open up their eyes so they can clearly see that Jesus was victorious over all the powers of darkness in every realm. And when he was raised up from the dead, he took the keys and he has the authority. But he doesn't need it in heaven. So he gave it to his church upon the earth so that they could use the authority to do what? Rise up above all the demon power. Guess what? You know what he wanted back in Isaiah chapter 14? I want to be like the most high. I want to sit upon the But guess what? We have it. He raised us up to sit together with him in high heavenly places. Praise God in Christ Jesus. He's given us power and authority over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt us. So what we buy, so it's not people. Bind the demons. Bind the devils. Bind the works of darkness. Come on up here. Praise worship. Team. Bind the hand of Satan. Like I said, most, most Christians don't even act like he exists. You know what she did to me? See, it's not about people. It's all about the powers of darkness arranging things to get us upset.